Welcome again, everybody. So glad you're here. Uh, love this church. Love it that you're here. Love the Savior that we get to serve together, build together, grow together in, in God's grace. Uh, as Ron just prayed, uh, God's blessing on his word, we are going to take some time in God's word. We'll be in Mark chapter 8. So if you have a device or Bible, or please open to Mark chapter 8. And in just a couple minutes, we'll read just a few verses there. Uh, pray with me again. I feel like I need the Lord a little more. Father in heaven, we are asking for the help of your spirit, uh, not just in the preaching, but in the preaching, in the reading, in the hearing, in the understanding. Uh, these things, Lord, we, we're unable to do sufficiently in and of ourselves. We need the help of your spirit for this. So we come humbly, but we come in faith. Illuminate our hearts today with your word for your glory. Father, I'm so amazed how well you know the details of every person sitting in this room, everyone that can hear my voice now. You know them through and through so well, all the details. And I pray that you would orchestrate in the way that you do the work, your work, into each heart in unique ways for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our study through the book of Mark, um, okay, I, I open every message like this. And so you're going to think, he kind of sounds like a broken record. Don't, don't tune me out. It is about knowing Jesus. But it is about knowing Jesus in a particular way. It is about knowing in a way that makes us disciples. Okay, so what we want to learn about Jesus, not just knowing, there's a, there is a way of knowing things about Jesus that does not lead to discipleship. Does not, it's not a knowing that changes your life. But what we're really after is the kind of knowing that changes you that changes me. You know something about Jesus, and because you know that about him, it affects you, it changes you, it molds you, it, it shapes your life. We talk about Jesus' power, and so we know Jesus' power, and so we trust him, and we look to him when we need help, when we need power. We, we learn about his care and his compassion, how he's so drawn to people and aware of their needs and filled with compassion, pressing into their lives. And so we know this about him so that our hearts, our disposition towards him is that he knows me and we're drawn to him. It's, it's a knowing that changes us and shapes us. We read about and listen to his teaching and he's so wise and you hear about his teaching of the kingdom and you, you think, oh, if only it could be. If only we could do it. If only this were, were true, but we're drawn with his wisdom. And so that, that wisdom, it, it affects us. And so we're inclined to listen to his teaching. We're not inclined just to listen to it, but we're inclined to obey it and pursue it from him. He spoke with such authority. He acted with such authority. And so when we know that about Jesus, it, it is meant to affect our hearts in such a way that we have a, a glad submission to him. Is a unique authority, not a bad authority, not an oppressive authority, a beautiful authority that inclines us under it, submitted to it gladly, feeling safe in it. With all this, every disciple 
finds themselves in times and in seasons where this knowing Jesus doesn't seem to be working. Not today. It's supposed to work. I like it when it works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I know Jesus, but I'm still stuck. I know this about Jesus. I know I'm learning about who he is, and yet I wake up today and I'm, I'm stuck. I'm depressed. I'm troubled. I can't shake it. I can't move out of it. I'm finding somehow the disconnect between what I know about Jesus and what I'm experiencing in this moment from him leaves me feeling like somehow it just seems maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe he doesn't work quite well enough. Maybe it's something about my particular situation. Maybe it's me. Whatever the reason is, we find ourselves at times in situations where that disconnect troubles us. And we become one of the categories that Martin Lloyd-Jones would call spiritually depressed. Kind of like Jesus isn't working for me now in this situation. It's a vulnerable situation to be in when we are tempted to think that Jesus isn't enough and something is going on here. But we have a text this morning that is designed to grab us in that situation and move us to a place of hope. We're going to read a few verses that is really one of the strangest miracles of Jesus because it's a miracle that seemed like it didn't really work, at least not the first time. But the issue, what we're going to come to find out, is not that Jesus wasn't enough, not that there was something about the trouble and the situation that limited Jesus from meeting it, but what we're going to discover in this situation and realize that some things from Jesus come to us in stages. And sometimes when we find ourselves in between stages, by God's Spirit, what I want your encouragement to be today is that Jesus stays with you through those times, and he's there to finish the job. He's there to complete the work. Knowing Jesus comes in stages, but Jesus stays with us until it's finished. Let's read the text together. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly, and he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. 
a little strange outline for you this morning, two questions in a statement. <laughs> What's this really about? That's point one. What's this really about? Point two, what actually happened? And point three, what did Jesus do? So I answer the question, what's this really about? Okay, there was no other miracle quite like this one. There was one other miracle recorded in the scriptures where it was kind of a two-stage healing. When Jesus spit, made some mud, put it on the, on, the, on the blind man's eyes and said, now go and wash, stage two. Let me put mud on your eyes, stage one. Go and wash, stage two. And then he was healed. But this one... Nothing ever happened quite like this. I mean, on the, on the face of it, it looked like the first botched miracle of Jesus. Like something didn't go quite right. Something went quite different than every other miracle. What was going on? Was Jesus tired that day? Maybe not quite prayed up? Maybe he should have been up all with the Father all last night and skip some time what what was going on here was he was jesus caught in a moment of weakness and it just didn't quite work this time when he laid his hands and prayed for this man maybe there was something about this guy something unique about this particular kind of blindness oh this was a disease jesus didn't know about kind of took him by surprise oh i know about this blindness but not this blindness maybe there's something going on in this man's heart this guy lack faith? Did he doubt? Is that, is that what's going on? Maybe he was the hindrance to this miracle happening the way all other miracles seem to have happened. And yet all these explanations, none of them really match what we've been learning about Jesus at all. He has been proving to us over and over again, there's nothing too difficult for him. He has full power and full authority over all things. He speaks to wind and waves. There's, there's no disease. There's no demonization. There, there's nothing too difficult for him. He says the word. It's, it's done. You get the impression he could think the thought. It's done. He has complete control and authority, supernatural power over it all. The issue of the man's faith, well, certainly we see where Jesus did encounter faith, commended faith when he met people who expressed faith to him. But we also saw he's, he's just as capable as, of healing a doubter as he is a person of faith. If we study it out and look at it, he's obviously trying to provoke faith. He's doing the miracles in order to stir up and generate faith. But I don't believe it's true that somehow his power was limited because there was unbelief in the room. He showed himself powerful over this. We need to look for a different, for a better explanation. And here's what I want to propose. It was a miracle with a lesson. It was a miracle with a lesson actually for the disciples. Not even for the blind man, but for the disciples. D.A. Carson writes this in his commentary. He says, many commentaries have suggested that the two-stage restoration of the man's sight is seen by Mark as a metaphor for the partial blindness and gradual enlightenment of the disciples concerning the identity of Jesus 
and the suffering role of the Messiah. The blind man just needs to hold on for a few more minutes until the thing gets completed because Jesus appears to be utilizing the situation in order to present a lesson to the disciples. The context of this miracle, the way Mark puts it in here, it is in the context of Jesus challenging the spiritual dullness of his disciples. They knew Jesus, and yet they were still, in some ways, spiritually blind. They could see, but they could not see. Just back up in verse 18, Jesus asked the question, you know, are you, are you still so dull? Are you still perceiving but not seeing? Are you still able to look but not able to see? Do you have ears that can't hear and eyes that, that can't see? Are you really so dull? That's on the front side of this miracle. On the other side, just around the corner from our text coming up soon, is the grand finale of the first half of the book where Peter makes his grand confession and Jesus poses this big question, the question that seems to permeate the book of Mark, who do you say that I am? I mean, that's the question. It's what Mark is writing to get every one of us to that point. Who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up with the great answer, you're the Messiah. And yet, what appears to be within moments, he's being rebuked by Jesus with one of the strongest, harshest rebukes in all the Bible because he couldn't embrace Jesus talking about going to the cross. Think about this. Just look at Peter individually. Peter knew Jesus. He knew who he was. He had been watching the miracles. He had been learning more and more about Jesus. He knew about his authority. He knew about his power. He knew about his compassion. And so he finally builds up all his knowledge of Jesus's you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus begins to talk, and I must suffer. And I must lay down my life. I'm going to the cross. And Peter stops him and says, no way. This doesn't make sense. That's not the Messiah I had in mind. So he knew, but he didn't know. He saw, but he didn't see. Jesus is observing in his disciples. Well, they see, but they don't see. That's the why Jesus did this miracle that way. He found a blind man who couldn't see. And he had him see a little bit. And that little bit, could he see? Could he not see? Was he blind? Was he not blind? You can't really tell. And with that, he presents to the boys, to the men, to the disciples, this is what's going on. You see, but you don't really see. Not yet. That's what's going on. Point two, let's look at what actually happened. 
One more account of Jesus uniquely healing someone. He does it differently yet again. Thankfully, Jesus did not give us healing formulas. This is how you do it. You know how crazy we would be if Jesus gave us a formula and said, well, this is how you do it. Just do it this way. He kept doing it differently. And yet here again, we see, and we've talked about this in weeks past, he took him by the hand, led him away from the crowds. So here we see Jesus so in tune with this man's need, caring for him, giving him some personalized attention. I'm thinking, this man learned so much about Jesus before Jesus ever prayed for his sight to be restored. He's walking him outside the village, away from everybody else, giving this man his sole attention, and he prays for him. He spits on his eyes, and he lays his hands on him. But then Jesus asked him, so do you see anything? Now, this is what I do when I pray, but this is not what Jesus does when he prays. I mean, that's the kind of thing you do when you wondered, well, did it work or not? What's going on? I gave it a try. Uh, tell me, uh, anything? You feeling anything? Anything different? I mean, what a strange thing for Jesus who just every time spoke the word, it's done. Everybody's amazed at his authority over diseases, over demons, over the weather, over all of creation. And yet this time he prays and he says, uh, can you see anything? And the man tells Jesus, well, I can see men but they're so blurry, they're so indistinct, they may as well be trees. I can't really make them out. Now, I see these figures moving, and so I can deduce their people, but I don't see enough detail to really know what I know. I can see, but I can't see. In other words, he doesn't really see well enough to know well enough. He has to surmise. He has to put the pieces together. Some of you maybe have like very poor eyesight and maybe you have a memory of the first time, the first time some corrective lenses were put in front of your eyes. I know some of you have had this experience. There's a, in a sense, you're going through your life up to that moment, looking at the world, and you think the world is as you see it until, until the glasses come on. And depending on how bad your eyesight was, it's like, wow, this is amazing. That's what a tree looks like. It was just brown and green, blurry blobs. That's what I thought a tree was. But there's leaves, there's branches, there's detail. Look at the beauty. Look at the detail. An amazing change takes place. This man is stuck in the middle. I don't know if he felt like, is this better? Is this worse? I'm not sure. I can kind of see, but I really can't see. It's hard to describe the state of this man, whether or not he was blind or not. 
I suppose now some of you would know this. Linda would certainly know this. I, there must be like legal standards. At what point are you legally blind versus not? I would hope if people look like trees that you're legally blind at that point. This man could see, but he couldn't see. And this was Jesus' lesson for his disciples. It needs to be a lesson for us. If you want to find yourself in the story of Mark, go to the disciples. Unless you're here, if you're not a Christian, you're in the crowd. That's where you are in the story. So when you read through the gospel of Mark, if you don't know the Lord, if you not look to Christ, you're, you're in the crowd and you got to look at Jesus through the eyes of the crowd and say, look at that man, look at that amazing, powerful wonderful, caring man, and be drawn to him. If you're here and you're a Christian, you find yourself in the story alongside the disciples. You are being discipled. If you're in Christ, you are a disciple, and you are being discipled, and that's what the book of Mark is wanting to do for you and for me. And Jesus does this lesson to show them about their inability to see clearly. In the Bible, sight and understanding are often correlated together. It's a way of referring to how well do you understand something? How well do you see something means how well do you actually understand it? And these men knew Jesus, and yet they didn't fully understand him. What, what did they know about Jesus? Ask yourself this question, what do you know about Jesus? Full of power, full of authority, nothing too difficult for him, cares deeply for the needs of people, sympathetic for their troubles, compassionate when people are in need, profound teaching that is wise beyond comprehension. He appears to be the one to follow. That's what they knew. But there was something they didn't know. And as I just said recently, it's just around the corner. It's the cross. It's the suffering servant. It's the Messiah that would suffer and lay down his life. The metaphor is exposing something in the hearts, in the minds, in the understanding of the disciples that is about to get exposed in just a few verses from this passage. can't see why a Savior so powerful and so majestic and so glorious and so wise would start talking about suffering at the hands of the leaders and the government. They're going to crucify. Why would you say they're going to crucify you? None of that matches everything that we know about you. Friends, isn't it true that the times of suffering, the situations of suffering, are those times that challenge our understanding of who Jesus is? Are they not the times where you really begin to question, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was like this. I thought he was here to make everything right, to solve all these problems. 
And what we'll find just around the corner towards the end of this chapter is not only Jesus talking about himself going to the cross, but then he draws out the implications for the disciples, for you and me, to take up our cross and follow him. If you think coming to terms with Jesus' suffering, hang on, baby, because next step, it means you and I get to follow him in his sufferings as well. It's in times of trouble and suffering where we're tempted to think that Jesus is not enough. Somehow Jesus is not working in this situation. All the things I know about Jesus are not playing out now. We don't realize that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. There's more to Jesus than what we thought. And he's laying out a metaphor, laying out a story, laying out a lesson to show us that, look, I know that you see a little bit, but you need to see more. Point three, another touch from Jesus. He stays stays with the man and finishes the job. Folks, some things about Christianity come in stages. They come by degrees. We've seen miracle after miracle that were bang instantaneously. He spoke the word. It's done. They're healed completely. And some things need to be like that. Cleansing lepers. You got to be all clean. If you're not all clean, you're not clean. It's all or nothing. But this time, it's in stages. Theologically, our justification, our justification, God's declaration over you as a person being in Christ is that you are hereby, in a moment, in an instant, declared right standing with God. You are hereby judge declared justified. No longer guilty. Free. Good standing, right standing with God. It's a moment. It's an event. It's a one and done. There it is. It's a declaration. But then we look at our sanctification. The ongoing, progressive work of the Spirit in your life, in my life. The ever-increasing understanding and the understanding of who Jesus is, transforming us day by day, more and more, into the image of Christ. It comes in stages. It comes in degrees. It's not instantaneous. Although the Bible does speak about sort of an initial sanctification, it certainly talks about a final sanctification, but most of the time when the New Testament is talking about our sanctification, it's talking about this growth process in the middle. That if you're here and you're a Christian, you're in 
right now. But by God's grace, you are, in a sense, if I can use the phrase, more sanctified today than you were five years ago. And we trust that by God's grace, you will be more sanctified five years from now than you are today because the work of the Spirit in our sanctification comes in stages, comes by degrees. He's working in us. It is a progressive work of the Spirit. Our understanding of Jesus is like that. Certainly had a moment of beginning. Some regenerative work of the Spirit, some realization about Jesus actually being the Savior, being offered to you and to me, and the realization happens in a moment, and we have faith planted by the Spirit in our hearts, and we respond and we receive Him. Then we begin to grow. Bill was sharing this a little bit when he opened preaching the Word. Was it last week or two weeks ago? His personal testimony about when he first became a Christian and how, I don't know if he said how little he understood. I think that was the implication. Is like, I, I didn't have everything I needed at the beginning, but I had exactly what I needed at the beginning to move forward. The hope in this passage, this poor guy's stuck in the middle looking around and everybody looks like a tree moving, walking, and Jesus stays and lays his hands on him again. In that middle part, Jesus was not finished with him yet. And friend, he's not finished with you yet. When you have those moments where it's like Jesus does not seem to be working today, does not seem to be adding up, it's not making sense, I want you to know he's still there. He's ready to lay his hands on you again. Another touch. I feel like I wake up every day. I need another touch from Jesus. Open my eyes a little more. And so Jesus touches the man the second time and it says he saw everything clearly this is there's i think a little bit of humor in the in the verse that describes it it's as if mark got out his thesaurus and said okay just give me as many words about sight being restored as you can find and he throws them all in here. He says in three different ways, using three different words, all trying to describe the same thing. He opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And when the Bible starts doing those like triplicate things, where it's like, let me say it three times, let me say one thing in three different ways that all say the same thing, you know the guy's really trying to emphasize something. He really wants to pound it home and make it make it real. I want you to know the man saw. He saw like he never saw before. His eyes were open. He could see everything clearly. It was done. The work was complete. No more walking trees. No more blurred vision. The man was healed. 
Jesus was not finished with the disciples either. For a couple of minutes, he's got a man who can see but can't see. In a series of days, weeks, he's got a group of disciples that see but can't see. He says, watch what I do with this man. Because that's what I'm going to do with you. Because he couldn't see, now he sees. You can't see. You don't even realize what you can't see. You don't know what you don't know. But I know what you don't know. And I know how dull your sight is at this point. But I want you to know I'm here. I'm staying in the game with you. I'm going to finish this. And I'm going to bring you to a point where you do see, in fact. And we see the beautiful gospel play out as Mark finishes the story and Jesus does go to the cross and it is the most extremely disillusioning moment for these disciples he told them time after time I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die I'm going to be raised from the dead and it's like they just have you had that? you, you hear something you just scratch your head, it's like I just, I just don't get it I mean I hear the words it didn't make sense and then it happened and then they're walking and talking with Jesus, raised from the dead. And then he sends them to the upper room. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is poured out, descends on these guys and many, 120 in that upper room. And their lives are changed. And they see. From there, we have accounts of these disciples that are enduring all kinds of persecution, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of hardship, and somehow they seem to be quite glad throughout it all. They keep their heads throughout all the suffering that they encountered and endured. The hardships didn't seem to affect their soul at all. They knew something about Jesus at that point that sustained them through the trials, and through the difficult times. And there we get to see. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, those are guys that can see. They really have eyesight. They understand who I am truly. Because I fill their gaze, and it satisfies them even when they're struggled even when there's setbacks, even when there's hardship. I know it's so difficult when you get caught in troubling situations where it just seems like Jesus isn't there, not quite enough, came to him, I asked, we prayed. I don't have it. I can't see. I still can't see. I see a little bit. I still can't see. In some ways, these are unique situations that some of you are in now, this morning. You came here in that kind of situation. On another level, there is a way of describing 
all of us as Christians, Paul writes us in 1 Corinthians 13, for he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. In other words, I realize my understanding today is in part. I see things only dimly. I don't have all the clarity that God has for my sight of understanding. But my burden is for the souls here this morning that feel like you're stuck in this sort of intermediate, I don't know whether I see or whether I don't. I'm, I'm having a hard time checking the box, like, are you blind or are you not blind? And you're like, I'm not sure which box to check because I see some things, but at this moment, I feel more aware of what I don't see. The worship team, you can come on up. I, I want us to pray for you. These are such vulnerable seasons and difficult times on the soul. And there's a point in this passage that we read, which is just kind of a point that didn't fit so much into the sermon, but nevertheless, a great point. Folks, the whole thing started with some friends that brought this man to Jesus. The whole event happened. It all came about because some people around this blind man who knew this man who was in need said, hey, I think we need to get you to Jesus. And they brought him, and Jesus met him. And when Jesus was done with him, he could see. There's a lesson for us as a church here, and I'm so glad, I, actually, I see it happen often, and I would only commend it and encourage it more, that we would be those kinds of friends. Because let's be honest, we're all, all of us, we're just kind of standing in line for waking up one day and feeling like we're in that situation that that man was in. I'm not sure whether I can see or whether I can't. I feel blind today. And I need Jesus to touch me. So kind of the thing is that You've got to kind of work with the situation. Blind people can't make their way to Jesus because they can't see. So they need friends to bring them. Would we be that kind of friend? When we see somebody across the aisle from us who's wandering, who's drifting, who's losing their bearings and their understanding and can't see Jesus as clearly as they need to, would we come alongside as friends and bring them back? I hope, I hope so. Friends, let's stand together. Folks, if you're here and you need prayer, uh, we have 
we have a handful of folks in the room that are here and willing to pray for you, pray with you. And they're going to make their way to the sides, to the aisles there. And if you're here, and anything about this, what I've been talking about is touching a nerve with you, speaking to you in some way. And folks, even if you're here and it's like, you know what? I have a different problem. We don't want these times to come and go without being able to pray for you. And so you see these folks moving to the sides. If you need prayer, (laughs) I encourage you to go ask for it. Go to these people like you're going to Jesus and saying, I need help. I can't see. I want to see. And God will hear and answer those prayers. Father, take these words. Take this passage. Take the truths and realities of what was going on in this situation and minister to the hearts here this morning. To those that feel lost and blind, that can't see you. There's there's some, Lord, that would say, well, I know Jesus, but I, I just, today, I can't seem to really see him. I pray that they would find help and know you've not left them. You stay with them. And you're ready to touch them again in Jesus' name.